Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. It really sucks that the good books end so quickly. I, I told y'all eventually I was going to stop saying the intro. Like, we're at the last episode for this book. If y'all don't know how to contact me now, then just wait till the end of the show. I'm going to say it then, because I don't really want to miss you twice. But you should know where I is and where you can get me at. Okay. No more excuses. Except for you kids. Thanks for listening. Also, if y'all enjoy the books that I'm reading for you children, leave a review. It'll be dope to actually see what a kid's perspective is on this show. That would be really nice. That would be fat. Real talk. Or leave a voicemail. You know, I'll play that too. Chapter 45. The beam of the flashlight was directed away from Stanley's eyes and onto Zero, who was sitting on his knees. The suitcase was on his lap. Mr. Pendansky was holding the flashlight. Mr. Sir stood next to him with his gun drawn and pointed in the same direction. Mr. Sir was barefoot and bare-chested, wearing only his pajama bottoms. The warden moved towards Zero. She was also in her bedclothes, wearing an extra-long t-shirt. Unlike Mr. Sir, however, she had on her boots. Mr. Pendansky was the only one fully dressed. Perhaps he had been on guard duty. Off in the distance, Stanley could see two more flashlights bobbing towards them in the darkness. He felt helpless in the hole. You boys arrived just in the nick, the warden started to say. She stopped talking and she stopped walking. Then she slowly backed away. Oh, that's poetry right there. Y'all see that? Y'all see them bars? Real slick. Real sinister. You boys ride just in the nick, the warden started to say. She stopped talking and she stopped walking. Then she slowly backed away. What? Uh, uh, uh. Sorry. A lizard had crawled up on top of the suitcase. Its big red eyes glowed in the beam of the flashlight. Its mouth was open and Stanley could see its white tongue moving in and out between its black teeth. Zero sat as still as a statue. A second lizard crawled up over the side of the suitcase and stopped less than an inch away from Zero's little finger. Stanley was afraid to look, and afraid not to. He wondered if he should try to scramble out of the hole before the lizards turned on him, but he didn't want to cause any commotion. The second lizard crawled across Zero's fingers and halfway up his arm. It occurred to Stanley that the lizards were probably on the suitcase when he handed it to Zero. There's another one, gasped Mr. Pendansky. He shined the flashlight on the box of Frosted Flakes, which lay on its side beside Stanley's hole. A lizard was crawling out of it. The light also illuminated Stanley's hole. He glanced downward and had to force himself to suppress a scream. He was standing in a lizard nest. He felt the scream explode inside him. He could see six lizards. There were three on the ground, two on his left leg, and one on his right sneaker. He tried to remain very still. Something was crawling up the back of his neck. Three other counselors approached the area. Stanley heard one say, what's going, and then whisper, oh my god. What do we do, asked Mr. Pendansky. We wait, 
said the warden. It won't be very long. At least we'll have a body to give that woman, said Mr. Pendansky. She's going to ask a lot of questions, said Mr. Sir. And this time she'll have the AG with her. Let her ask her questions, said the warden. Just so long as I have the suitcase, I don't care what happens. Do you know how long? Her voice trailed off and then started up again. When I was little, I watched my parents dig holes every weekend and holiday. When I got bigger, I had to dig too, even on Christmas. Stanley felt little tiny claws dig into the side of his face as the lizard pulled itself off his neck and up past his chin. It won't be long now, the warden said. Stanley could hear his heartbeat. Each beat told him he was still alive, at least for one more second. Chapter 46 500 seconds later, his heart was still beating. Miss Pendansky screamed. The lizard which had been in the cereal box was springing towards him. Mr. Sir shot in the midair. Stanley felt the blast shatter the air around him. The lizard scurried frantically across his very still body. He didn't flinch. A lizard ran across his closed mouth. He glanced at Zero, and Zero's eyes met his. Somehow, they were both still alive, at least for one more second, one more heartbeat. Mr. Sir lit a cigarette. I thought you quit, said one of the other counselors. Yeah, well, sometimes sunflower seeds just won't cut it. He took a long drag on his cigarette. I'm going to have nightmares for the rest of my life. Maybe we should just shoot them, suggested Miss Pendansky. Who? asked the counselor. The lizards or the kids? Mr. Pendansky laughed grimly. The kids are going to die anyway, he laughed again. At least we have plenty of graves to choose from. We've got time, said the warden. I've waited this long. I could wait another few. Her voice trailed off. Stanley felt a lizard crawl in and out of his pocket. We're going to keep our story simple, said the warden. That woman's going to ask a lot of questions. The AG will most likely initiate an investigation. So this is what happened. Stanley tried to run away in the night, fell in a hole, and the lizards got him. That's it. We're not even going to give them Zero's body. As far as anyone knows, Zero doesn't exist. Like Mom said, we got plenty of grades to choose from. Why would he run away if he knew he was getting released today? Asked Mr. Pendansky. Who knows? He's crazy. That's why we couldn't release him yesterday. He was delirious, and we had to watch over him so he wouldn't hurt himself or anyone else. She's not going to like it, said Mr. Pendansky. She's not going to like anything we tell her, said the warden. She stared at Zero in the suitcase. Why aren't you dead yet, she asked. Stanley only half listened to the talk of the counselors. He didn't know who that woman was or what A.G. meant. He didn't even realize there were initials. It sounded like one word, age E. His mind was focused on the tiny claws that moved up and down his skin and through his hair. 
He tried to think about other things. He didn't want to die with the images of the warden, Mr. Sir, and the lizards etched into his brain. Instead, he tried to see his mother's face. His brain took him back to a time when he was very little, all bundled up in a snowsuit. He and his mother were walking, hand in hand, mitten and mitten, when they both slipped on some ice and fell and rolled down a snow-covered hillside. They ended up at the bottom of the hill. He remembered he almost cried, but instead he laughed. His mother laughed too. He could feel the same light-headed feeling he felt then, dizzy from rolling down the hill. He felt the sharp coldness of the snow against his ear. He could see flecks of snow on his mother's bright and cheery face. This was where he wanted to be when he died. Hey, caveman, guess what, said Mr. Sir. You're innocent after all. I thought you'd like to know that. Your lawyer came to get you yesterday. Too bad you weren't here. The words meant nothing to Stanley, who was still in the snow. He and his mother climbed back up the hill and rolled down again, this time on purpose. Later, they had hot chocolate with lots of melted marshmallows. It's getting close to 4.30, said Mr. Pendansky. They'll be waking up. The warden told the counselors to return to the tents. She told them to give the campers breakfast and make sure they didn't talk to anyone. As long as they did what they were told, they wouldn't have to dig any more holes. If they talked, they would be severely punished. How should we say they will be punished? One of the counselors asked. Let them use their imagination, said the warden. Stanley watched the counselors return to the tents, leaving only the warden and Mr. Sir behind. He knew the warden didn't care whether the campers dug any more holes or not. She'd found what she was looking for. He glanced at Zero. A lizard was perched on his shoulder. Zero remained perfectly still except for his right hand, which slowly formed into a fist. Then he raised his thumb, giving Stanley the thumbs up sign. Stanley thought back to what Mr. Sir had said to him earlier, and the bits of conversation he'd overheard. He tried to make sense out of it. Mr. Sir had said something about a lawyer, but Stanley knew his parents couldn't afford a lawyer. His legs were sore from remaining rigid for so long. Standing still was more strenuous than walking. He slowly allowed himself to lean against the side of the hole. The lizards didn't mind. Chapter 47 The sun was up, and Stanley's heart was still beating. There were eight lizards in the hole with him. Each one had exactly eleven yellow spots. The warden had dark circles under her eyes from lack of sleep, and lines across her forehead and face which seemed exaggerated in the stark morning sun. Her skin looked blotchy. Satan, said Zero. Stanley looked at him, unsure if Zero had even spoken or if he had just imagined it. Why don't you go see if you could take the suitcase from Zero, the warden suggested. Yeah, right, said Mr. Sir. The lizards obviously aren't hungry, said the warden. Then you go get the suitcase, said Mr. Sir. They waited. Satan Lee, said Zero. Sometime later, Stanley saw a tarantula crawl across the dirt, not too far from his hole. 
He had never seen a tarantula before, but there was no doubt what it was. He was momentarily fascinated by it, as his big hairy body moved slowly and steadily along. Look, a tarantula, said Mr. Sir, also fascinated. I've never seen one, said the warden, except in... Stanley suddenly felt a sharp sting on the side of his neck. The lizard hadn't bitten him, however. It was merely pushing off. It leapt off Stanley's neck and pounced on the tarantula. The last Stanley saw of it was one hairy leg sticking out of the lizard's mouth. Not hungry, huh? said Mr. Sir. Stanley tried to return to the snow, but it was harder to get there when the sun was up. As the sun rose, the lizards moved lower in the hole, keeping Manly in the shade. They were no longer on his head and shoulders, but it moved down to his stomach, legs, and feet. He couldn't see any lizards on Zero, but believed there were two, between Zero's knees, shaded from the sun by the suitcase. How are you doing? Stanley asked quietly. He didn't whisper, but his voice was dry and raspy. My legs are numb, said Zero. I'm going to try to climb out of the hole, Stanley said. As he tried to pull himself up, using just his arms, he felt a claw dig into his ankle. He gently eased himself back down. Is your last name, your first name backwards? Zero asked. Stanley stared at him in amazement. Had he been working on that all night? He heard the sound of approaching cars. Mr. Sir and the warden heard it as well. You think it's them? asked the warden. It ain't the Girl Scouts selling cookies, said Mr. Sir. He heard the cars come to a stop and the doors open and shut. A little while later, he saw Mr. Pendansky and two strangers coming across the lake. One was a tall man in a business suit and a cowboy hat. The other was a short woman holding a briefcase. The woman had to take three steps for every two taken by the man. Stanley Yelnats, she called, moving out ahead of the others. I suggest you don't come any closer, said Mr. Sir. You can't stop me, she snapped, and then took a second glance at him, wearing pajama pants and nothing else. We'll get you out of there, Stanley, she said. Don't you worry. She appeared to be Hispanic, with straight black hair and dark eyes. She spoke with a little bit of a Mexican accent, trilling her R's. What in tarnation? The tall man exclaimed as he came up behind her. She turned on him. I'm telling you right now, if any harm comes to him, we will be filing charges not only against Miss Walker and Camp Green Lake, but the entire state of Texas as well. Child abuse, false imprisonment, torture. The man was more than a head taller than she, and was able to look directly over her as he spoke to the warden. How long have they been in there? All night, as you can see by the way we're dressed. They snuck into my cabin while I was asleep and stole my suitcase. I chased after them, and they ran out here and fell into the lizard's nest. I don't know what they were thinking. That's not true, Stanley said. Stanley? As your attorney, I advise you not to say anything, said the woman, until you and I have a chance to talk in private. 
Stanley wondered why the warden lied about the suitcase. He wondered who it legally belonged to. That was one thing he wanted to ask his lawyer, if she really was his lawyer. It's a miracle they're still alive, said the tall man. Yes, it is, the warden agreed with just a trace of disappointment in her voice. And they better come out of this alive, Stanley's lawyer warned. This wouldn't have happened if you'd released him to me yesterday. It wouldn't have happened if he wasn't a thief, said the warden. I told him he would be set free today, and I guess he decided to try and take some of my valuables with him. He's been delirious for the last week. Why didn't you release him when she came to you yesterday? The tall man asked. She didn't have proper authorization, said the warden. I had a court order. It wasn't authenticated, the warden said. Authenticated? It was signed by the judge to sentence him. I needed authentication from the attorney general, said the warden. How do I know it's legitimate? The boys in my custody have proven themselves dangerous to society. Am I supposed to just turn them loose anytime someone hands me a piece of paper? Yes, said the woman. If it's a court order. Stanley has been hospitalized for the last few days, the warden explained. He's been suffering from hallucinations and delirium, ranting and raving. He was in no condition to leave. The fact that he was trying to steal from me on the day before his release proves... Stanley tried to climb out of his hole, using mostly his arms so as to not disturb the lizards too much. As he pulled himself upward, the lizards moved downward, keeping out of the sun's direct rays. He swung his legs up and over, and the last of the lizards hopped off. Thank God, exclaimed the warden. She started towards him, then stopped. A lizard crawled out of his pocket and down his leg. Stanley was overcome by a rush of dizziness and almost fell over. He steadied himself, then reached down, took hold of Zero's arm, and helped him slowly to his feet. Zero still held the suitcase. The lizards, which had been hiding under it, scurried quickly into the hole. Stanley and Zero staggered away. The warden rushed to him. She hugged Zero. Thank God you're alive, she said, as she tried to take the suitcase from him. He jerked it free. It belongs to Stanley, he said. Don't cause any more trouble, the warden warned. You stole it from my cabin, and you've been caught red-handed. If I press charges, Stanley might have to return to prison. Now I'm willing, in view of all the circumstances, to... It's got his name on it, said Zero. Stanley's lawyers pushed past the tall man to have a look. See? Zero showed her. Stanley Yelnats. Stanley looked too. There, in big black letters, was Stanley Yelnats. The tall man looked over the heads of the others at the name on the suitcase. You say he stole it from your cabin? The warden stared at it in disbelief. That's in... in pop... It's in pop... She couldn't even say it. Chapter 48 They slowly walked back to camp. The tall man was a Texas Attorney General, the chief law enforcement officer for the state. Stanley's lawyer was named Miss Marengo. Stanley held the suitcase. He was so tired he couldn't think straight. He felt as if he was walking in a dream, 
not quite able to comprehend what was going on around him. They stopped in front of the camp office. Mr. Sir went inside to get Stanley's belongings. The attorney general told Mr. Pendansky to get the boy something to drink and eat. The warden seemed as dazed as Stanley. You can't even read, she said to Zero. Zero said nothing. Miss Marengo put a hand on Stanley's shoulder and told him to hang in there. He'll be seeing his parents soon. She was shorter than Stanley, but somehow gave the appearance of being tall. Mr. Pendansky returned with two cartons of orange juice and two bagels. Stanley drank the juice, but didn't feel like eating anything. Good call. He might have poisoned it. Wait! The warden exclaimed. I didn't say they stole the suitcase. It's his suitcase, obviously. But he put my things from my cabin inside of it. That isn't what you said earlier, said Mrs. Morango. What's in the suitcase? The warden asked Stanley. Tell us what's in it, and then we'll open it and see. Stanley didn't know what to do. Stanley, as your lawyer, I advise you not to open your suitcase, said Miss Morango. He has to open it, said the warden. I have the right to check the personal property of any of the detainees. How do I know there's not any drugs or weapons in there? He stole a car, too. I've got witnesses. She was nearly hysterical. He's no longer under your jurisdiction, said Stanley's lawyer. He has not been officially released, said the warden. Open the suitcase, Stanley. Do not open it, said Stanley's lawyer. Stanley did nothing. Mr. Sir returned from the office with Stanley's backpack and clothes. The attorney general handed Miss Morango a sheet of paper. You're free to go, he said to Stanley. I know you're anxious to get out of here, so you can just keep the orange suit as a souvenir. Or burn it. Whatever you want. Good luck, Stanley. He reached out his hand to shake, but Miss Morango hurried Stanley away. Come on, Stanley, she said. We have a lot to talk about. Stanley stopped and turned to look at Zero. He couldn't just leave him there. Zero gave him the thumbs up. I can't leave Hector, Stanley said. I suggest we go, said his lawyer with a sense of urgency in her voice. I'll be okay, said Zero. His eyes shifted towards Mr. Pendansky on one side of him, then to the warden and Mr. Sir on the other. There's nothing I can do for your friend, said Miss Morango. You're released pursuant to an order from the judge. They'll kill him, said Stanley. Your friend is not in danger, said the Attorney General. There's going to be an investigation into everything that's happened here. For the present, I'm taking charge of the camp. Come on, Stanley, said his lawyer. Your parents are waiting. Stanley stayed where he was. His lawyer sighed. May I get a look at Hector's file? She asked. Certainly, said the Attorney General. Miss Walker, go get Hector's file. She looked at him blankly. Well? The warden turned to Mr. Pendansky. Bring me Hector Zeroni's file. He stared at her. Get it, she ordered. Mr. Pendansky went to the office. He returned a few minutes later and announced the file was apparently misplaced. 
The attorney general was infuriated. What kind of camp you running here, Miss Walker? The warden said nothing. She stared at the suitcase. The attorney general assured Stanley's lawyer that he would get the records. Excuse me while I call my office. He turned back to the warden. I assume the phone works. He walked into the camp office, slamming the door behind him. A little while later, he reappeared and told the warden he wanted to talk to her. She cursed, then went inside. Stanley gave zero thumbs up. Caveman? Is that you? He turned to see Armpit and Squid coming out of the rec room. Squid shouted back into the rec room, Caveman and Zero are out here. Soon all the boys from Group D had gathered around him and Zero. Good to see you, man, Armpit said, shaking his hand. We thought you were buzzard food. Stanley is being released today, said Mr. Pendansky. Way to go, said Magnet, hitting him on the shoulder. And you didn't even have to step on a rattlesnake, said Squid. Even Zigzag shook Stanley's hand. Sorry about, you know. It's cool, said Stanley. We had to lift the truck clear out the hole, Zigzag told him. It took everyone in C, D, and E. We just picked it right up. It was really cool, said Twitch. X-Ray was the only one who didn't come over. Stanley saw him hang back behind the others for a moment, then returned to the rec room. Guess what, said Magnet, glancing to Mr. Pendansky. Mom said we don't have to dig any more holes. That's great, Stanley said. Will you do me a favor, asked Squid. I guess, Stanley agreed, somewhat hesitantly. I want you to... He turned to Miss Marengo. Hey, lady, you have a pen and pencil I can borrow? She gave it to him, and Squid wrote down a phone number, which he gave to Stanley. Call my mom for me, okay? Tell her... Tell her I said I was sorry. Tell her Alan said he was sorry. Stanley promised he would. Now you be careful out there in the real world, said Armpit. Not everybody is as nice as us. Stanley smiled. The boys departed when the warden came out of the office. The attorney general was right behind her. My office is having some difficulty locating Hector Zeroni's records, the attorney general said. So you have no claim of authority over him, asked Miss Marengo. I didn't say that. He's in the computer. We just can't access his records. It's like they've fallen through a hole in cyberspace. A hole in cyberspace, Miss Marengo repeated. How interesting. When is his release date? I don't know. How long has he been here? Like I said, we can't. So what are you planning to do with him? Keep him confined indefinitely without justification while you go crawling through black holes in cyberspace? The attorney general stared at her. He was obviously incarcerated for a reason. Oh? And what reason was that? The attorney general said nothing. Stanley's lawyer took hold of Zero's hand. Come on, Hector. You're coming with us. There never used to be yellow-spotted lizards in the town of Green Lake. They didn't come to the area until after the lake dried up. But the townsfolks had heard about the red-eyed monsters living in the desert hills. 
One afternoon, Sam, the Onion Man, and his donkey, Mary Lou, were returning to his boat, which was anchored just a little offshore. It was late in November, and the peach trees had lost most of their leaves. Sam! Someone called. He turned around to see three men running after him, waving their hats. He waited. Afternoon, Walter, Bo, Jesse. He greeted them as they walked up, catching their breath. Glad we caught you, said Bo. We're going rattlesnake hunting in the morning. We wanted to get some of your lizard juice, said Walter. I ain't a scared of no rattlesnake, said Jesse, but I don't want to come across one of them red-eyed monsters. I seen one once, and that was enough. I knew about the red eyes, of course. I hadn't heard about the big black teeth. It's the white tongues that get me, said Bo. Sam gave each man two bottles of pure onion juice. He told them to drink one bottle before going to bed that night, then a half bottle in the morning, then a half bottle around lunchtime. You sure this stuff works? asked Walter. I'll tell you what, said Sam. If it doesn't, you can come back next week and I'll give you your money back. Walter looked around unsure as Bo and Jesse laughed. Then Sam laughed too. Even Mary Lou let out a rare hee-haw. Just remember, Sam told the men before they left. It's important, very important, you drink a bottle tonight. You got to get it into your bloodstream. The lizards don't like onion blood. Stanley and Zero sat in the back seat of Miss Morango's BMW. The suitcase lay between them. It was locked, and they decided they let Stanley's father try and open it in his workshop. You don't know what's in it, do you? she asked. No, said Stanley. I didn't think so. The air conditioning was on, but they drove with the windows open as well because, no offense, but you boys smell really bad. Miss Morango explained that she was a patent attorney. I'm helping your father with the new product he's invented. He happened to mention your situation, so I did a little investigating. Clyde Livingston's sneakers were stolen sometime before 3.15. I found a young man, Derek Dunn, who said that at 3.20 you were in the bathroom fishing your notebook out of the toilet. Two girls remember seeing you come out of the boys' restroom carrying a wet notebook. Stanley felt his ears redden. Even after everything he'd been through, the memory still caused him to feel shame. So you couldn't have stolen them, said Miss Morango. He didn't. I did, said Zero. You did what? asked Miss Morango. I stole the sneakers. The lawyer actually turned around while driving and looked at him. I didn't hear that, she said, and I advise you to make sure I don't hear it again. What did my father invent? Stanley asked. Did he find a way to recycle sneakers? No, he's still working on that, explained Miss Morango. But he invented a product that eliminates foot odor. Here, I've got a sample in my briefcase. I wish I had more. You two could bathe in it. She opened her briefcase with one hand and passed a small bottle back to Stanley. It was fresh and had a somewhat spicy smell. He handed it to Zero. What's it called? Stanley asked. We haven't come up with a name yet, said Miss Morango. It smells familiar, said Zero. Peaches, right? said Miss Morango. 
That's what everyone says. A short while later, both boys fell asleep. Behind them, the sky had turned dark, and for the first time in over a hundred years, a drop of rain fell into the empty lake. Part 3. Filling in the Holes Chapter 50 Stanley's mother insists there was never a curse. She even doubts whether Stanley's great-great-grandfather really even stole a pig. The reader might find it interesting, however, that Stanley's father invented his cure for foot odor the day after the great-great-grandson of Elia Yelnaps carried the great-great-great-grandson of Madame Zeroni up the mountain. The Attorney General closed Camp Greenlake. Miss Walker, who was in desperate need of money, had to sell the land, which had been in her family for generations. It was bought by a national organization dedicated to the well-being of young girls. In a few years, Camp Green Lake will become a Girl Scout camp. This is pretty much the end of the story. The reader probably still has some questions, but unfortunately, from here on in, the answers tend to be long and tedious. While Miss Bell, Stanley's former math teacher, might want to know the percent change in Stanley's weight, the reader probably cares more about the change in Stanley's character and self-confidence. But those changes are subtle and hard to measure. There is no simple answer. Even the contents of the suitcase turned out to be somewhat tedious. Stanley's father pried it open in the workshop, and at first, everyone gasped at the sparkling jewels. Stanley thought he and Hector would become millionaires. But the jewels were of poor quality, worth no more than $20,000. Underneath the jewels was a stack of papers that had once belonged to the first Stanley Yelnats. These consisted of stock certificates, deeds of trust, and promissory notes. They were hard to read and even more difficult to understand. Miss Marengo's law firm spent more than two months going through all the jewels. They turned out to be a lot more valuable than the jewels. After legal fees and taxes, Stanley and Zero each received less than a million dollars. But not a lot less. It was enough for Stanley to buy his family a new house with a laboratory in the basement and for Hector to hire a team of private investigators. But it would be boring to go through all the tedious details of all the changes in their lives. Instead, the reader will be presented with one last scene, which took place almost a year and a half after Stanley and Hector left Camp Green Lake. You'll have to fill in the holes yourself. There was a small party at the Yelnats' house. Except for Stanley and Hector, everyone there was an adult. All kind of snacks and drinks were set out on the counter, including caviar, champagne, and the fixings to make ice cream sundaes. The Super Bowl was on television, but nobody was really watching. It should be coming on at the next break, Miss Marengo announced. A timeout was called in the football game, and a commercial came on the screen. Everyone stopped talking and watched. The commercial showed a baseball game. Amid a cloud of dust, Clyde Livingston slid in the home base as the catcher caught the ball and tried to tag him out. Safe! shouted the umpire as he signaled with his arms. The people at Stanley's house cheered, as if the run really counted. Clyde Livingston got up and dusted the dirt off his uniform. As he made his way back to the dugout, he spoke to the camera. Hi, I'm Clyde Livingston, 
but everyone around here calls me Sweet Feet. Way to go, Sweet Feet, said another baseball player, slapping his hand. Besides being on the television screen, Clyde Livingston was also sitting on the couch next to Stanley. But my feet weren't always sweet, the television Clyde Livingston said as he sat down on the dugout bench. They used to smell so bad that no one would sit near me in the dugout. They really did stink, said the woman sitting on the couch on the other side of Clyde. She held her nose with one hand and fanned the air with the other. Clyde shushed her. Then a teammate told me about Sploosh, said the television Clyde. He pulled a can of Sploosh out from under the dugout bench and held it up for everyone to see. I just spray a little on each foot every morning, and now I really do have sweet feet. Plus, I like the tingle. Sploosh, said a voice. A treat for your feet. Made from all natural ingredients, it neutralizes odor-causing fungi and bacteria. Plus... You'll like the tingle. Everyone at the party clapped their hands. He wasn't lying, said the woman who sat next to Clyde. I couldn't even be in the same room with his socks. The other people at the party laughed. The woman continued. I'm not joking. It was so bad. You've made your point, said Clyde, covering her mouth with his hand. He looked back at Stanley. Will you do me a favor, Stanley? Stanley raised and lowered his left shoulder. I'm going to get more caviar, said Clyde. Keep your hand over my wife's mouth. He patted Stanley on the shoulder as he rose from the couch. Stanley looked uncertainly at his hand, and then at Clyde Livingston's wife. She winked at him. He felt himself blush and turned away towards Hector, who was sitting on the floor in front of an overstuffed chair. A woman sitting in the chair behind Hector was absentmindedly fluffing his hair with her fingers. She wasn't very old, but her skin had a weathered look to it, almost like leather. Her eyes seemed weary, as if she'd seen too many things in her life that she didn't want to see. And when she smiled, her mouth seemed too big for her face. Very softly, she half sang half-hummed a song that her grandmother used to sing to her when she was a little girl. If only, if only the moon speaks no reply, reflecting the sun and all that goes by. Be strong, my weary wolf. Turn around boldly. Fly high, my baby bird, my angel, my only. I love that book. I hope y'all love it too. I I, I don't know. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. So the warden was Trout Walker's great granddaughter, I guess. Or granddaughter. They really need to watch who they hire to do stuff. Like, they literally said, okay, you can be a warden. And her whole thing was to come up off these kids' misery. Hope something bad happened to Mr. Pendanski. I hope they got arrested. You can leave a review on Podchaser. 
then you can copy and paste that review into uh, Apple Podcasts, and then you can copy and paste that review into Good Pods, and leave a five stars for each one. If you don't leave five stars, just let me know what you thought led to the lack of five stars. I'd be interested to see. Um, you can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or buymeacoffee.com slash sscast uh, or at the Good Pods app. You can just leave some money in the tip jar. And um, tip jar voicemail 916-633-1537. I know I said that. I think that's about it. I don't know what the next book's going to be. I'm going to read one more short book before we get to uh, the book that I want to read for October. It's not going to be The Cartel. Thank you all so much. I greatly appreciate you. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. Outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my dad, did you say?